Welcome to the Transformation Church Podcast, where we're leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you a fresh perspective on God and His Word so you can see transformation in your own life. Enjoy the message. What if I had some good news? Maybe some good news like a, uh, a, a go-to stock that would make you a lot of money. Or uh, maybe some winning lottery numbers. How about that? Some good news. But what if I had some good news, but never shared that good news with you? Would it still be good news? You know, a man by the name of uh, John Courier would say no. John was a guy who got uh, found guilty for murder in 1949. He was sentenced to uh, life in prison And then in 1968, his sentence got terminated and a letter sharing the good news that he was now free was sent to him. But guess what happened? He never got the letter. 10 more years would go by, 10 more years in prison, 10 more years of having to suffer in that kind of life before a parole officer discovered the error and let him know that he was actually a free man. I want to ask you this question this morning. Would it matter to you if someone had the most important message of your life, but it never got to you? This morning, I want to talk to you from this topic, changed lives, change lives. Changed lives, change lives. And I want to welcome you to week one of our new a message series called The Space Between, where we're going to go on a journey uh, uh, June and July through uh, the first and second Thessalonians, the two letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. And so I want you to grab your Bibles, you can grab your smartphones, make your way to first Thessalonians. This series is going to be kind of a journey through these two letters where we are learning what it looks like to be able to thrive in the last days. Does anybody believe we're living in the last days? I know I do. I know I do. Well, let me give you, as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of backstory of what Thessalonians is all about. It was written by the uh, Apostle Paul, and he was writing to uh, this young church in Thessalonica. And I want to tell you right now, that over the next nine weeks, I'm going to stumble every time I say the location Thessalonica. Like, I'm just going to stumble. Like, I've been stumbling the whole time. And so, I may, tell, I may say something like the T word or something just to not embarrass myself. But, but here's the thing is, is, Paul goes, he travels, and if you know, you know much about kind of the timeline, this is following... Um, uh, Paul and Silas, when they got imprisoned in Philippi, you might remember that story in, in Acts, right? They got falsely imprisoned. Uh, they're, they're in the prison and they're praying and they're worshiping the Lord. And, uh, and what happens? God decides he wants to show off, right? So he sends this massive earthquake. Things start shaking. Um, the doors of the cells open up. They end up leading the jailer to Christ, leading his whole family to Christ, And so it's after that that Paul and Silas and Timothy as well began to make their way to um, Thessalon. Oh my gosh, I cannot say the word. The T place, the T word. 
And they make their way there and they spend, they spend several weeks, three, four weeks, five weeks preaching in the synagogue. Um, and something amazing really happens while they're there. Uh, lots of people began to, to get saved to the point where they've got to start a, a new church that's there. The reason why Paul doesn't stay longer is because of the hostility of the locals and the Jews that are in the city and they're, they're coming against and, and, and there was this um, feeling of Paul and, and, and Silas and Timothy, being their lives being threatened. And so they end up leaving, but what they leave behind is a young church. And this letter, First and Second Thessalonians, is a letter that's written about a year after Paul and Silas and Timothy leave. And the reason why this letter is important and the reason why you and I really need to pay attention to what it says is because it is a letter that's being written to real people who are experiencing some real problems in a world that was hostile to their Christian faith. Does that sound familiar? Does it sound anything like the kind of world that we're living in today? But despite all of this hostility, Paul just, he's got kind of one of those moments, those proud moments, because this young church, this young church that was just trying to kind of figure out what this new faith was all about, they were determined determined to take the good news that, that Paul and Silas and Timothy had brought to them and to share it with the people who needed it the most. And so Paul sits down and he begins to pen this letter and he's, he's giving them some encouragement of the way that they're living their life, but he's also going to address some of the confusion that these young believers had around the second coming. And we're going to get into some of that uh, in this series. And so I want us to jump into 1 Thessalonians today, chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 today. So starting in verse 1, it says this, that this letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. It says, we're writing to the church in Thessalonica, ooh, I almost got it, to you who belong to God the Father. This is going to be a long series because I cannot say that word. Um, you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He writes this, may God give you grace and peace. Verse two, he says, we always thank God for all of you and we pray for you constantly. I love this part in verse two because it, it kind of gives us a glimpse into um, how proud Paul and Silas and Timothy are in these young believers. It's kind of like, I kind of um, uh, attribute it or, or compare it to like as a, as a parent, right? When we, are, when we are trying to nurture and to raise our kids and they make like crazy, stupid decisions when they're younger, but as they begin to get a little bit older and, it looked, and they're getting it, right? They're beginning to now make the right decisions based upon the foundation that we've built. We, there's this like this proud um, father and mother moment as we see our kids beginning to thrive. And, and I kind of see this letter from Paul as that, that it's like this proud spiritual father that's just speaking encouragement to his spiritual children. And he says in verse three, he says, as we pray to our God and father about you, and I wanted, want you to notice um, these three qualities. He says, we think 
of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and your enduring hope. The hope that you have because of our Lord Jesus. I want you, if you got your Bibles and you're cool with it, I want you to circle that faithful work, loving deeds, enduring hope. We're gonna come back to those in just a few moments. But he says in verse four, he says, we know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his people. In other words, he's saying, like, you guys are saved. Like, God has chosen you. You have accepted Jesus Christ into your heart. And the reason why Paul can write this to them and be so confident about their salvation is because of this important thing. Their lives were changing. Like they were, they were noticing that their lives were changing from what it used to be to this new walk following after Christ. Listen, I want all of us to understand this really important truth about our spiritual journey is that the mark of salvation isn't that we say a prayer, but it's that our life is changing. It's not that we slip up our hand and we repeat a prayer and that's the sign or mark of salvation. It's that we are allowing God to change our life, that that when we pray a prayer and we walk out, we begin to head in a different direction with our life. And that's, that's that's why it says in Matthew 3, 8, prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and that you've turned from God. Like it's not an expectation of perfection, but it's an expectation of progress in our lives. And I love this of how he's, he's, he's seen these young believers not just praying a prayer and going back to their life, but, but really allowing their lives to be changed. He says in verse five, he says, for when we brought you the good news that it was not only, I love this too, not only with words, It was also with power for the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern for you, our concern from the way that that we lived when we were with you. What's Paul saying? He's He's saying that we were there, we understand the hostility that is around you, we understand that the the adversity that you're facing because of of your faith in Christ, And, and there was, as a father, as a spiritual father, there was a concern that these young believers might, might end up compromising their faith or they might end up caving with their faith due to the hostility and and. And so he says this in verse six, and this is also amazing. So you ended up receiving the message, but look at this. They received it with joy. Joy despite the severe suffering that it brought you. He said, in this way, you have imitated both us and the Lord. Now, I don't know when you saw that. I don't know when you saw that in verse six. Like, like the fact that joy and suffering is in the same sentence, like, like that just seems like odd, right? It seems odd because in our modern day kind of Christian version, our mindset, that we only, we only think that joy is present when, when it's absent of adversity, Right? If our life is absent of adversity, then we have joy. But, but if we're going through difficulty, how easy is it for us to lose that joy? And Paul is commending them 
that despite the severe suffering that you're facing in your life, that, that you're holding on to the joy of the Lord. And then he says this in verse seven. He says, as a result. Those are some powerful words, three words, as a result. If you got your Bible, it'd be worth circling those three words. In other words, he's saying, because of your faithful work, because of your loving deeds and because of your enduring hope and your joy despite suffering. He says, look what happened. Look what happened. He says, you have become an example. You become a role model to all of the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. Macedonia being the northern part of Greece and Achaia being the southern part of Greece. Almost 50,000 square miles, almost, almost the size of the state of Florida. And Paul is saying because of that faithful work and the loving deeds and the enduring hope and the joy despite suffering that you become a role model to all of them. He says in verse eight, and now, the word of the Lord is ringing out. This word ringing out in the original language is the, is the word echo. If anybody's ever stood at the, at the, base or, or the edge of a mountain and yelled and listened to their voice just echo throughout the mountains, he's saying this, that, that the word of the Lord, now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond the 50,000 square miles, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. I want you to notice something that is missing in this text. I want you to notice that Paul doesn't say anything about their political party being what is ringing out to people everywhere, right? I don't see anything in here about their social media posts being what is ringing out to people everywhere. I don't see anything in here about whoever their presidential candidate would be, being the thing that rings out to people everywhere. No, what he says here is the way that you are living your life is ringing out to people everywhere, that it is a role model for other believers to look at the way this young church, right? This young church, they haven't been saved 10 or 20 years and know everything. They don't know all the verses and they don't know all the, all the theological arguments around the second coming and, and, and salvation and all. They're just living the life. They've just had such an encounter with Jesus that they've allowed it to begin to change their life. And the ripple effects, the echo of the way that they're living their life is becoming known in the regions all around them. Paul says, for wherever we go, everywhere that we're going, we find, look at this, we find people telling us about your faith. About your faith. So much so that we don't even need to tell them anything about it. I want to let you in on a secret this morning. The people will follow our example quicker than they'll follow our advice. 
It's one thing to check off the box of Christianity and then the only ripple effect that we have in our life is accusations and social media posts and, 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 and bitterness or hatred or whatever towards other believers and other people that don't look like us. But it's a whole nother thing. It's a whole nother thing to allow your life to be changed in such a way that now you're walking the walk and you're talking the talk so much so that the people all around you are so moved by your faith in God that it's ringing out all over the place. In verse nine, he says, for they, they keep talking about it. <laughs> they keep talking about it. Let me ask you kind of a difficult, challenging question today. Who's talking about your faith? Like who in your circle, what neighbors, what what coworkers, what family members won't shut up because of your love and your passion for God. Not that you throw out and hurl like Bible verses and stuff like that when they do something you don't think they should do. No, 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 I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the way that you live your life. Like the fruit of the spirit in your life, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the long-suffering, the self-control, like, like all those things in your life are so, like, they're so visible in the way that you live your life that the people around you began to be impacted by your relationship with Jesus. How many people in your circle are viewing you that way? He says, for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome that you gave us and look at this, and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. There was something powerful about when they accepted Christ and they lived in a culture where sexual immorality was there, where they worshiped sex and, and the fact that somebody would wanna be sexually pure would be something that would be ridiculed and they would, they would find hostility towards that. They lived in that kind of culture, right? And, and in that kind of culture, they have this, this encounter with the good news. The good news wasn't just, just shared, but it got to them and it began to change their life and they began to say, you know what? I'm not gonna live this way anymore. I'm gonna start living this way in my life that I'm gonna turn away from the old way and I'm gonna begin to live towards the new way. And it, and it says in verse 10 that as they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's son. God's a powerful 10 verses of scripture of Paul encouraging this young church, encouraging them in the way that they are living their life. And so today what I want to do is I want to take just a couple more minutes and I want to go back to these three qualities that Paul brags on them about. Three qualities that they were allowing to operate in their life that enabled them to take the good news that they had received to the people who needed it the most. The first one is this, is that they faithfully worked. That they faithfully worked. I find it interesting in this text how Paul marries faith and work. 
Like, I think a lot of us would separate those two. But he marries faith and work, and he marries them because faith is actually belief and action. Like, it's one thing to believe, right? But it's a whole other thing. Like, faith is to have that belief, but then put it into action. That's why James said, and um, I think it's James um, chapter 2, that faith without works is what? It's dead. Another translation says it's useless. But it's dead. Friends, saving faith isn't just a belief in God because Jesus said that even demons believe, right? It's not just a a belief in God, but it's a belief in God that motivates us to good works. It's a belief in God that motivates us to change the way that we were living our life and to begin living a life a different way. Friend, real faith the kind of faith that saves you, the kind of faith that changes you, that it empowers you to turn from what is wrong to what is right, that it opens your eyes to see a beauty and to see the glory and the greatness of God. And when you see that, when you see his beauty and his glory and his greatness, we become eager to turn away from the sin and the selfishness that we've been living in our life and to pursue holiness and purpose. Friend, it's only this kind of faith that truly saves us. The second quality that Paul commends them for is, is that they had this enduring hope. This enduring hope. Hope, like the kind of hope that even when it faces adversity, it keeps pressing through. And and what were they hopeful for? They were hopeful for the second coming of Christ. And Paul commends them for this quality. And and the reason why is because, because it's our confident hope in Christ's return that the guys makes it possible for us to, to watch a world that's falling apart and still be able to keep our peace. And why are we able to keep our peace? Because we recognize and we know that this isn't our future, that that is our future. Because we've resolved it in our heart that he is God and we are not that he is in control and he knows what he's doing. And friend, it was this kind of peace that these young believers had, not a belief, but a knowing in their heart that became a witness to a world that was starving for peace. And then the third quality that Paul commends them for was their loving deeds. Paul was looking at them as a proud spiritual father. And he loved how the way that they were living their life, the actions, the way that they were following Jesus, how it was motivated by, by this love. And he noticed in that, he noticed within that, those actions of love, that there were three additional qualities that allowed their lives to to really be um, about being a distributor of God's news. And these were the three. 
The first one, they noticed that they had a changed attitude. They noticed that their attitude had changed, that instead of complaining about the adversity and the hostility that they were facing in the moment, Paul said in verse six that they received the message with joy. In spite of all the severe suffering that they were facing. What kind of suffering were they facing? They they weren't facing a broken AC system. (laughs) They weren't facing a flat tire. They weren't, you know, facing whether it was too hot or too cold in the church auditorium, whether they could find a parking spot or the traffic light took longer and we were a few minutes late to work. Like that wasn't the severe suffering that they were facing. They were facing their property being stolen, being arrested, put into prison, threats on their life, and they still remained joyful. And the reason why is because they began to see their, their, their perception of life began to shift. And they began to, to see their adversity as a privilege rather than a penalty. It was a privilege of, of being able to be a, a follower of Jesus. That my future, that my eternity is set, that as we had communion this morning, that, that, that we didn't deserve it, we didn't deserve God's grace, but he gave it to us anyway. And he gave it to us because of such a, um, a heartfelt thank you for that grace that we could spend the rest of eternity in heaven, that they began to look at the adversity that they faced, not as a penalty, but as a privilege of being a follower of Christ. Church, there's a reason why we don't experience miracles much anymore. And the reason is this, it's because we are unwilling to persevere through adversity. You see, when things get tough in our life, what do we do? We we tend to bail. We bail on God, we bail on church, we bail on our small group, we bail on the people that, that love us the most. And the problem with bailing in the middle of adversity is that miracles are experienced on the other side of adversity. And if we're unwilling in our lives to to persevere through adversity, then we will unlikely experience miracles in our life. They also trusted in God. They had a deep trust And God, and we know that by when Paul wrote that wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've I've yet to meet someone who didn't trust God whose faith has been contagious. (laughs) The only people that I've met in my life whose faith was contagious were the ones that trusted God through adversity. And Paul recognized this quality within these young believers. And then then he recognized this. 
that their loving deeds, that, that, that the actions, the way they were living their life just out of a, um, a sign of, of worship, of, of loving God and thankful to God was the fact that they became outward focused. They didn't get so hyper-focused on what was happening in their world, but they began to think about lost people. And these believers, they didn't sit back and, and wait for um, revival services to be scheduled. They didn't sit back and wait for a famous evangelist to come into town or, or a citywide crusade in a rented stadium. No, they simply shared with their neighbors and with their friends, what God had done in their life. And when those people began to ask questions, they didn't point them to Paul and say, go ask him. No, instead they invited these people into their homes and they read the scripture together. In essence, what they did is they invited these people into their small groups and said, you know what, let's go on a journey of discovery together. And guess what happened? Guess what happened to the fact that they were willing to open up their homes and, and to live their lives in such a way that it was focused on other people, not themselves? The good news spread like wildfire. And it became known all over the region, that God was up to something in this city with a group of young believers that don't have it all together. They don't know everything about the word. They're even doing some things that's gonna have to be get a little bit corrected. But they love God. Their lives have been changed and because their lives have been changed, now they're living a life to change the lives of others. Church, I want you to consider this heavy question today. That how many John Couriers do you pass by on a daily basis? And as you pass by them, are you getting the good news to them? Or will one day, will they stand back and they say, I heard there was some good news, but I never received it. Church, let's not be like the person who found a cure to a life-threatening disease. But instead of telling the other sick people what they needed to do to get better, they just went on living a healthy life in front of them while they watched them die. And this is why back in March, we launched that initiative that each one reach one. Because I'm gonna be honest, all of us, including myself, it's easy for us to drift into a life of selfishness. 
It's easy to be excited that we've punched our ticket for eternity and we're thankful for that, but then to go on living life our own way, doing our own thing, focus on our own stuff. And I don't see Paul and Silas and Timothy commending that kind of church. They're commending the kind of imperfect church that was willing to go after God with all of their heart, to be a carrier of his good news, that the good news that they received that transformed their life, that that they wanna share that same good news so that other people's lives could be transformed. And friend, what, what could it look like? In a culture similar to what they were experiencing there, what could it look like? If there was a church in Tallahassee a church that would work faithfully, that would have loving deeds, that would have enduring hope, and that would have joy despite their suffering. What if our imperfect faith could ring out to Tallahassee and the surrounding areas where we build a reputation not around ourselves, not around our music, not around our preaching, not around our kids or our youth or our buildings, but we developed a reputation around the way that we live our lives. That God has changed us and we've devoted our lives change others. Would you pray with me today? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word's not always easy, but it's always what we need. And Father, today we come before you humbly. Lord, forgive us for holding on to the good news and being unwilling to share it to others. The Lord, there's people on our street, there's people in our apartment complex, there's people at our work, there's people at the grocery store, there's people everywhere that we go that don't realize that the good news of their freedom has been given. Lord, may we be like the parole officer that discovers and shares the good news that they can be free. Lord, give us the courage to live our life with boldness. And Father, may your hand and your anointing rest upon us so that our lives might echo out into the communities around us. Father, we would be champions of your grace and your mercy. that lives can be forever changed. In Jesus' name.
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to share it with your friends and tag us at TransformTLH. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to seeing your face in the place someday. Have a great week.